invite our speaker for this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in his atoned work should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes in me has passed from death unto life. For this is the witness, this is the testimony we have, that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. For the life is in the Son. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that everything we need is wrapped up in Christ. As we pursue Christ, we receive everything we need. When we pursue things, we don't, we don't enjoy Christ. So teach us. We're here to learn. Open our eyes and we see wonderful things out of your word. Open our hearts, O oh God. Do your work as the master surgeon. Find our wickedness. Root out bitterness. Cleanse us. Heal us. Sanctify us. Make us more and more like Jesus. At any expense to my ego. Make me like Christ, I pray. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And let the power of the truth of your word extend to those sitting here and those who will listen online today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So if you've got your notes and if you've got your Bibles, of course it is on, this, on the screen and also in your notes. But you should know where it fits in your Bible. Where is it that's in your Bible? So whenever you... You have your Bible and you just tick mark those verses. Somewhere in the future, you'll come back to that and you'll be able to, you'll be able to uh, reference that again. I want to be grateful to God for a vision that I've had for over 20 years. Over 20 years, I've been dreaming about having house churches and about growing the church not in one big auditorium and mega church kind of thing and me speaking to hundreds and thousands. I've dreamed about hundreds and hundreds of uh, homes in, in housing complexes opened up to the gospel so that every person in Delhi has a five-minute walk to the closest church. And the church is not a building, but the gathering of the saints. And today, God has allowed us to have two. So in Greater Noida, uh, there is a, there's a house church meeting in Ashish's home. And in Gurgaon, in Rupa's home, there is a house church meeting as we speak. And they have their own video. And I've created, I've, by Thursday, I record a video for the house church. We call it the home edition. So if you know of any city, if you know of any city, any friend, any contact, in any place, any part on this planet. And they are comfortable with English. And they can get together four, five, six people in a home. And they want to join us and be part of us. We can extend our shepherding to them. We can extend our love and our care for them wherever they are. If they don't have access to a local church. And if they are looking for the teaching and looking for the ministry of this church. Then we can get them together. We give them the video. They watch the video. And they do their local you know, prayer and, and communion and everything. And they are able to be part of and with us in everything. We can actually extend and start house churches all over the place. And I don't need permission to do this because the Bible commands me, commands us to do this. 
from home to home, Acts 20.20, from home to home they met every day, devoting their attention, devoting their passion to the teaching of the word, to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, and they met with one another and cared for one another, and they ministered to one another, and they ensured that nobody had any need among them, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is God's will. This is what Jesus wants. He wants to see people coming together and serving. Serving. I don't want to ace the church game of this stage thing. Of having a fantastic show and big number of people. I want to ace the game in believers looking after one another. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other. By looking after one another, caring for one another, growing one another. And the second thing is by looking at the community, looking at the needs and feeling the needs of the community around you and serving them. Covenant life will be a church that loves each other and loves others. Loves Jesus and loves like Jesus. That is the success of our church. Not our show, not our performance, not our programs, but that. Relationships. And to that, we are completely uh, uh, committed. What happens here at Constantia? Well, we put out all sorts of things and all gimmicks and videos and everything to say, come, come, come listen. Come listen to the beautiful uh, uh, glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come listen to the answers God has to your life. And as they come and they find in Jesus the answers, as God the Father draws people to Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit brings them and saves them, the work is done completely by God and we are spectators to the mighty works of God here on earth. And the amazing thing is we will stand in heaven as partners in what the Spirit of God has done and actually share in the reward. So every person you ever bring with you to fill a seat next to you, you will be partakers, you'll be partners with the Holy Spirit in what He is doing to you. It's very easy to fill a crowd. It's very easy to fill an auditorium with people. That's not a challenge. But getting the people who are truly seeking God, truly searching for the Lord, Truly wanting to pursue a relationship with Christ, ooh, that only the Spirit of God knows. Would you agree with me? Only the Spirit of God knows the heart that's truly looking for God. And we want those people. And how do we find those people? By relying on the Spirit, number one, by praying. Praying that God will bring them. Number two, by letting them know where we are, what we are doing, and what's the next topic. And number three, we ourselves pick them up and bring them with us. That's the most loving act you can do. Andrew did that. I like my name. My middle name is Andrew. And that's also my strategy. Andrew is the one. He just brought Philip. He brought Nathaniel. He brought all these other characters to Christ. And he said, He didn't do anything. He didn't do any talking. He didn't do any convincing. He just, you, you meet Jesus, he'll take it from there. And that is what I would love for your partnership with us in doing that. All right? Let's get into it. Number two, part two in this incredible series called... The series is called Strategies for Stressful Times. Either you have been through stressful times, or you're going through stressful times, or you will definitely go through stressful times. Right? Yeah, if you're living on this earth and you have that family of yours, uh, yeah. Today, how to be happy no matter what. And the emphasis is on the last part, <laughs> no matter what. How to be happy no matter what. This is not a motivational talk. 
You can go to YouTube and listen to all those characters for the motivational talk. This is about understanding why a happy God is in relationship with us, and yet we are not happy through, through, in, uh, through everything. A happy God, a God who is filled with joy, a God who, around whom joy and, 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 and happiness lasts constantly. How can we be in relationship with him and we ourselves not have consistency in our joy, in our happiness? All right, so let's get started. Whatever happens, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Come on, let's go. Whatever happens, underline that, highlight it, asterisk it. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner, underline manner, in a manner worthy of the good news, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is from the book Philippians, Philippians, and we are talking about the first chapter, first chapter and the first 20 verses. We're going to look at this first chapter, we're going to look at these first 20 verses and get our points from there. Whatever happens, that is the challenge. It's not about the happiness, it's about keeping it. It's about keeping it. Some of us can't hand on, hang on to cash. It just goes. Some of us can't handle time. Time just goes. Where did all the time go? How is it already 4 o'clock? And some of us can't, hang, can't hang on to happiness. It just leaks. What happened? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There are different killjoys in our life. Pain is one reason I just... It, it, it kills my joy. It kills my happiness. Pain. I can't be happy while I'm struggling with pain. I'm talking about physical pain. I'm talking about physical pain or a headache. Some people struggle with migraines. Some people talk about uh, chronic pain. Some people are living with a lot of pain. Then, okay, you want to go with emotional pain as well? That's there as well. Then there's pressure. Constant pressure from the parents, from friends, from relatives, from your bosses, from your colleagues. Deadlines. Timelines, limited resources, there's constantly you find and feel pressure. You're living under pressure. You're living with pressure constantly. And when you are under that stress that is on you, not just inside you, but on you, it can get very draining. It is a kill joy. It kills your happiness. It kills your joy. Pain is a kill joy. Pressure is a kill joy. People! Have you met people? People are a killjoy. You find one person, they're smiling. Second person, they're smiling. Your day is going well, and then you meet that third person. And no matter how you want to have the best perspective of life, somebody's going to come along and just have to say one sentence, and it's all gone. It's very difficult, and people in our life are difficult. And people are sometimes the biggest reason for killjoys. Of course, the fourth one is problems. We have problems. We have other people's problems. Other people want to make their problems our problems. That's how they think we're helping them. We're not helping them unless we take their problems our problems. And then we take, when we solve uh, their problems once, twice, now we are responsible for their whole lives. Is this happening to you as well? And now I'm everybody else's solution. And I'm responsible for everybody else's happiness. And I feel that everybody else is unhappy around me because of me. Or, I'm unhappy because of everybody else around me. Some or the other, somebody is responsible for my happiness. Pain, pressure, people, problems. The four, four most common sources of unhappiness. Common killjoys of happiness. How did Paul handle this? 
How did Paul handle this? How did he manage to tackle all of these? He tackles all of these in the book of Philippians. And he gives us hints to do that. See, happiness is not something you look for. Happiness is not something you look for. It's not out there and you go get it. Happiness is is something you create. It's like wealth. You create wealth. You create time. You redeem the time. You make time. You make happiness. Create it. Happiness is something you choose. It is a choice at every step along the way. It is a choice you make. Listen to me carefully, and I know you are. Whatever is happening in your life, you are as happy as you choose to be. You are as happy as you choose to be. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the pressure, finish it, regardless of the people, and regardless of the problems. You'll have all four at any time. You may have all four at the same time. But you'll always have one at any time. That's never going to go away. Happiness is the choice. People have the when and then thinking. The when and then thinking. When I get this, then I'll be happy. When I change my job, when I leave from this place, when I have enough money, then I'll be happy. When you get out of my face, then I'll be happy. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. So let's get into the Philippines and see what this guy has to say, what this man has to say about how he found uh, joy in all these four areas, in these kill joys. Okay? First, let me give you a little background because you need to become students of the text. A little background about what Philippines is all about. Paul had spent two years, are you with me? Paul had spent two years in jail on false charges. With me so far? Paul had spent two years in jail on false charges charges. He was shipwrecked. He was shipwrecked on his way to Rome. He was sailing to Rome and he was shipwrecked. But he was going to Rome to to stand trial for whatever he was accused of under Nero, the then Caesar. But then he gets shipwrecked and now he's stranded on an island. And on the island he gets bitten by a snake. And you thought you were having a bad day. He gets bitten by a snake. Then finally, he gets over all of that and he gets to Rome where he is charged and implicated. And then he's put into prison for two years. And the prison isn't the nice, the bars and the nice uniform and and all that. The prison is a dungeon. The prison is, is terrible. The prison is the worst experience you could go through. He's under isolation or complete, you know, uh, solitary confinement. And he's chained to two guards. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And there, in that situation, he writes the book of Philippians, the book of joy. From there, he tells you how to be happy. I think we need to take him very seriously. I think we need to really consider every word in this book, the book of Philippians. And from there, he writes four practical choices that you and I make on a daily basis, which, uh, which will give us happiness despite, no matter what happens, no matter what happens. Number one, write it down. I can be happy no matter what happens. I can be happy no matter what happens if I choose to remember God can bring good out of anything. To remember God can bring good out of anything. That is so important. It is not new information. 
but it is so important to rethink and re-execute it in my life. God is not stuck. God is not left for choices. God is not shortchanged. God never comes up against a wall. God never runs out of ideas. God never runs out of solutions. God is never shortchanged. I am the one who is limited in sight, vision, and situations, uh, solutions. God has never done that. Remember, God can bring good out of anything. Let's look at scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know. We don't we feel. We don't guess. We're not superstitious. We know. What? That in all that happens, believers, saints, children of God, in all that happens, God works for the good. This is more of a working out. He works it out. He makes it happen. He changes. He's, he moves things. Out. He works it out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Very important part of the verse. For those who love him, those who called according to his purpose. So if you're pursuing God, you're loving God with every fiber of your being. And by love you mean every sacrifice, everything that, would, uh, that I would have to do to put him first. And I'm called according to his purpose. I live by his purpose. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Then God is going to take whatever comes my way and make it work out for good. Make it work out for good. See... If we can't see what God is doing, we become unhappy. We are unhappy when we cannot see what God is doing. So the problem is not the unhappiness, but the inability to envision God working in this situation. You and I are dead-end thinkers. Face it. We come to a situation where we think, I don't know what, how this is going to pan out. I don't think anything good is going to come out of this. This is the worst thing that could have possibly happened, etc., etc., etc. We have that way of thinking for the most part. Some are optimistic, but it doesn't last very long. That's why David was able to say, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Psalm 34 verse 1. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. So the way you make this first choice, choice number one, the way you make this first choice is by learning a life skill. Listen to me carefully. This is a life skill of the believer is how do I see what's happening in my life, what's happening in the lives around me, how do I see what's happening to me, my day, my situations, my problems, pain, pressure, and people, how do I see that as something that God is at work with, that God can work good out of? How can I begin to see what God sees? Life skill number one to help you make the best choice in any given situation. Don't follow your feelings. Follow your faith. What is your faith? It is not an optimistic worldview. Your faith is not an optimistic worldview. It is a knowledge that somebody higher, bigger, greater, more loving, and someone who is dedicated to you is at work for your very best interest. Say amen. Isn't that true? Somebody in heaven who's greater than you, calls you by name, is working for the very best interest. The way you make that first choice is by learning this life skill. Happy people have a larger perspective. They have a bigger perspective. They know that their life is not just their life. That is part of something amazing that is going on. Something that, uh, terrible also that is going on. We are living on earth. Life isn't that great. Not all the things that are happening in this life are amazing at this time. Yet there are also amazing things that happen. It's not about me. It is around me and it is not to me. Happy people have a larger perspective. Here's Paul's perspective. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. 
Everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Now here's where Paul was willing to let anything happen to him as long as people heard the gospel. This is Paul. This may not be you, but this is Paul. Paul's life was dedicated to getting the gospel out there. Do you remember Paul and Peter? Peter was the apostle to the to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul wanted to go out with a dhamaka explosion of evangelism. He wanted to go everywhere, tell everyone in the most amazing way about the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he wanted anything that happened to him to turn out for the good of the gospel rather than for the good of his comfort. Paul was dedicated to that. Knowing Paul's desire, dream, and ambition Look at what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, chill, don't worry, don't get anxious. Everything that has happened to me, where is he writing from? Where is he writing from? From the dungeon. From the dungeon. And you have the guards over there, they're peeking over and seeing what he's writing. Everything that has happened has happened for my good, for the good of the gospel. Paul's dream was to share the gospel at the center of the Roman Empire. All roads lead to Rome. And if all roads lead to Rome, Rome has a road to everywhere. So if we can get the gospel to a cosmopolitan city, if we can get the gospel to a metro, if we can get the gospel to the road to Rome, and from Rome we have the gospel pumping out, then all roads lead out of Rome. And it will go to the ends of the earth amazing strategy. So he wanted to go there. He wanted to hire uh, uh, an event management team. He wanted to you know, hire the biggest hall. I think it was the Colosseum. And have massive campaigns and call everybody and say how to be happy no matter what. And he wanted the whole world, the then known world, to hear the gospel. That was Paul's desire. That was his plan. And then God says, uh-uh, I think I'm going to put you in prison. God's idea was to put him in prison. His idea was to go to the Colosseum and scream out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will go with Paul's plan. I like Paul's plan. But God's plan was, I'm going to put you in prison. And we were like, why are you shooting yourself in the foot? I mean, don't you want the gospel to get out there? Why does sometimes life turn out in such a way that it doesn't even seem to be going God's way? It's not even good for God's purposes. Why does it seem to be happening? What does God know that I don't? That is the question that will keep you close to Jesus. That's the question that's going to keep you close and pursuing God. What does God know that I don't? What does God see that I don't? And when you see what God sees, and when you know what God knows because he has revealed it to you, because faith is a relationship of of revelation, not reason, you will be powerful and strong in your walk with God. was to share the gospel from the center of the Roman Empire. He wanted to go there. He wanted to bust out and tell the whole world about that. But instead, God puts him in a prison. God's idea was to make him prisoner, chained to a palace guard. You're not listening. Prisoner, chained to a palace guard, an elite, hand-picked security agent of Caesar. This is the secret service. This is the black cat commandos of Caesar, Nero. These are the guys who have been trained, no matter what, to take care of the Toughest criminals. And this guy, Paul, is no ordinary chap. He used to lead those guys once upon a time. And he takes, so he's being guarded by two palace elite Nero's own guards. He has two of them with him and he is chained to his prison. These two guards were with him for four hour shifts. 
four hour shifts and he was there for a period of two years. So in the four hour shifts, over the two years, over 4,380 guards would have been chained to Paul. And what do you think he talked about? 4,380 guards, maybe sometimes it's the same guard, that's not the point. But he had a chance to share the gospel to people chained to him. They couldn't even take a break. At least you can get up and leave. But they couldn't even take a break. They had to listen to the world's best preacher. <laughs> and he had the chance to give the gospel to the elitist guards of the Roman Empire. Right there. God thinks differently to you and that's a good thing. He's dealing with people of influence. He's dealing with people who are very powerful, very skilled, very trained, and he has a captive audience. And the Bible says later that some of Nero's own family members came to faith in Christ. Some of Nero's own family members, and it went to the point where his family members and the palace guard had started becoming believers. Later on, he says the, the, the priests, many of the priests in Jerusalem started becoming believers. And the expense of Paul's ministry <laughs> was paid by Nero. He was given a resort accommodation with full-time security, completely uninterrupted. And Paul sat there for two years. And what did he do? He wasn't on Twitter. I think you think he was, but he wasn't. He sat there for two years and he wrote the New Testament. So Nero binds Paul by the two most elitist guards. Every guard that gets bound to him hears the gospel. And while he does that, over the two years, he writes the New Testament, which you now hold in your hand as the scriptures. So Nero paid for the New Testament to be written. Nero looked after his security for a period of two years, not two weeks, for a period of two years. I think God knows better. I think God thinks better. I think God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are past finding out. My brothers and sisters, God wants life, your life to be compelling, not just comfortable. If you're constantly looking for comfort, and you are not, your life is not on the altar for the Lord, saying, Lord, at whatever cost to me, get your word out through me. At whatever cost to me, let this world know of the love and the forgiveness that is in Jesus. God wants your life to be compelling, not necessarily comfortable. You have to learn to face every situation with faith, not fear. With faith, not fear. So what are you afraid of right now? What are you going through? Can you think of a situation in your life right now that is scaring you? That is scaring you. It's filling you with a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear. You don't know how it's going to pan out. You don't know how it's going to work out. It's causing you to be unhappy. It's draining your happiness. It's a killjoy. Just drop your head for a second and just pray this prayer. Lord, help me to see this problem through faith and not through fear. Lord, help me to see this problem through faith and not through fear. Maybe it's a colleague that you're dealing with in, in your school or in your, in your workplace, in your office or in your company. Maybe it's a situation that your life and the outcome of your life or your career or your admissions or your visa is in the hands of people you have no control over. Maybe your health is in the hands of someone else who will decide your fate. 
somebody else's skills who will decide your faith. I don't know what impending problem concern is looming large on the horizon and is filling you with unhappiness. Your prayer should be simply this. Lord, help me to see this problem through faith rather than through fear. Every time I face a problem with faith, there are two advantages. Number one, it is a witness to unbelievers. And when we say unbelievers, we, we are talking about people who don't know about the mercy of Jesus or have rejected the mercy of Christ, right? Simply that. It's a witness to unbelievers. Everyone here, he says, including the soldiers in the palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. They know where this problem is going and how God is going to solve it. It is also an encouragement to believers because many believers are mostly puss. For the most part, most believers are what we call traditional or nominal or just, just, they're just winging it through life. They have a Jesus in heaven and they have some vague form of a faith. They do go to church as often as they possibly can, which means as often as their body will allow them. But it's an encouragement to believers who are struggling in their faith. He says, because of my imprisonment, many believers have had confidence. They've gained confidence to encourage and to speak fearlessly in telling others about Jesus. So it has taken believers who are kind of, you know, run out of steam and it's, it's filled them with courage. If Paul can do it, we can do it. If he can be bold, we can be bold. Number two, I can be happy no matter what happens if I choose to never let others control my attitude. I can be happy no matter what if I choose to never let others control my attitude. Never let others control my attitude. What do we mean by that? When people open their mouths, when people open their mouths, it affects me. Yes or no? Come on. When people open their mouth, when people say things to me, when I just arrive at work, when I just arrive at school, when I just arrive at my, at, at my place of uh, dealing, with business, the, the things people say affects me. How people perceive me affects me. That, we call them critics. Critics. You have critics, you have companions, you have competitors, and you have challengers. You have com critics, you have companions, you have competitors, and you have challengers. Critics. It's true, Paul says in verse 15, that some others preach Christ because, they, of course, now listen, Paul is talking about his context. Now, this is not everything doesn't superimpose on your life. He's talking about his context, but we're learning how he handled his problems. Got it? Okay. It's true that some others preach Christ because they are jealous of us and they like to argue. Got it? They are jealous of what we're doing and they like to argue, so they're critical. The moment you are a critique of somebody, you put yourself in a position of judgment over them. That's why social media is flooded with criticism. And you are afraid of, of the critics on social media. Mostly on social media because that's constantly, and it's a free speech for everybody. It's constantly in your face. You're, you're constantly looking at likes, dislikes, likes, dislikes, drop in likes, increase in likes, drop in subscriptions, increase in subscriptions. And then we begin to look and feel. And the one guy, everybody might think you're amazing. The one guy has to say, but... And your whole life goes south. Your whole day goes south. Because somebody said that one thing. Critiques are very powerful, but they don't have to be over you. Your happiness can't be at the, uh, at the mercy of a critique. No matter what kind of critique. Companions. There are those who are genuinely with you. They are those who love you. They, they, they love what you're doing. 
But my brothers and sisters, you don't need anybody's affirmation and validation for what you do. Don't ever depend on them. Because the same people who lift you up will also tear you down if one day you don't do what they're saying. Companions. Others preach out of genuine goodwill. These do so out of love. And they know God's given me the work of defending the gospel. But you don't need anybody's approval. God has given you a life and God has given you a purpose. And you need to stick to that and stay focused on him. Number three are competitors. Others preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of selfish ambition. And challengers. Others just want to stir up more trouble for me and add to my pain while I am in prison. You'll have one of the four, two of the four, or all of the four, but you'll have these people in your life, and they cannot dictate your happiness. The second choice we learn from Paul is, I can be happy no matter what happens if I choose to never let other, others control my attitude. Never let others control my attitude. Now the world will say, yes, don't let others control your attitude, you should control your attitude. Uh-uh. This is church, this is the Bible, this is God's will. He wants the Holy Spirit to control your attitude. So it's not others but the Holy Spirit. So go with this truth from my mouth here this morning. God is not saying you control your attitude and let other people not control. He's saying let the Spirit of God control your attitude because He's the Spirit of He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of revelation. He's the Spirit of love. He's the one who, who will really show you who you are and what you are and what your worth is. So he says in verse 18 of the same passage we're looking at, it doesn't really matter. Critiques, challenges, competitors, companions, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared. So I'm happy. I'm happy. My attitude is intact because whatever's happening in my life, whatever the critic is saying, whatever the challenger is saying, no matter what's happening in my life, God's moving, God's changing, God's shifting, God's tweaking to make it for the purpose for which I'm alive. Can you imagine? You set a goal for yourself that's in line with God. And God moves heaven and earth and every angel to make sure that that goal is met. Imagine the power of that life. Imagine the power of that. The impact of that life. That's why I say to you, God is not interested in your life being comfortable. God is interested in your life being compelling. You know how fast the last 20, 30, 40 years have gone in your life? That's how fast the others are going to be. You're going to be dead. You're going to turn to, turn, turn to dust. And the real you is going to find itself in front of the real Jesus and the real outcome of your life. Switch to spiritual while on earth. That's why God gives you eternal life now, not after you die. Did you hear that? God gives you eternal life now, not after you die. You get your inheritance now, not after you die. I'm not saying you have a right to be happy you deserve to be happy. That's all bull. You don't. I mean, you've been mean. You've been unfaithful. You've been sinful. You've done your stuff. You don't deserve anything. But God loves you. And God loves you because you were designed for his pleasure. And you are his child. And you're washed by the blood of the Lamb. And heaven is waiting to have you. It doesn't matter what they are saying. So he says in verse 28 of uh, Philippians chapter 1, Be fearless no matter what happens, no matter who opposes you. It will be a sign to them after their downfall that God was with you. 
and that he will save you. Show to the people who's on your side. Show that you're the only one who can actually say, I have a higher power. You're the only one who can truly say, I have friends in high places. Very, very high places. You're the only one who can truly say that. Why aren't you able to say that with confidence? Don't let others affect your attitude. Let God's definitions of you, his presence with you, and his revelation of his plans affect your attitude. Real quick, one more. The truth, uh, uh, I can be happy no matter what happens. If I choose to trust God, he will always work things out. Trust God to always work things out. He says, I will continue to rejoice for I know that as you pray for me and as the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that's happened will turn out for my deliverance. Please stare at that verse and find four things. Number one, he says, I know. That is the most powerful thing in faith. Not feelings, but knowledge. Not feelings, but knowledge. The Christian faith, that is the Christ-centered faith, is one of revelation, not reason, and not feelings. It is one that is based on what I know he has told me in English. I get it. I have it right here. I can quote it back to God. God, you said. I know. Number two, I have people praying for me. Oh, wow. I have, Paul says, I have people praying for me. I know you have been praying for me. Number two, three, I have the Spirit of Christ, capital S, the Spirit of Christ working with me. And number four, I have the faith that God will work it out. I have somebody other than myself who is working in my interest to ensure that the outcome that we have both unitedly decided is the goal of my life. I have somebody working to make sure that that happens. My life is going to be a success, no matter my critics. No matter my companions, no matter my challenges. It is my eager expectation and hope, circle hope, that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, circle courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Christ will have his will in my way, in my body, in my life. Whether my life or my death, one way or the other, God's going to get it done through me. I will be a success. So trusting God gives me hope. Trusting God gives you courage, and trusting God gives you happiness. Happiness comes from knowing your life is worthwhile. Your day is working out. Everything's in your favor. Happiness comes from knowing you're taken care of. You're not the only one fighting for the outcome of your life. Happiness comes from someone else's happiness. That is God's happiness poured into you. Happiness is something you make happen when you align yourself with one who is eternally happy. Etc, etc. Write a last one down. Number four. I can be happy no matter what when I choose to be, when I choose to focus on my purpose and not on my problems. Focus on my purpose, not on my problems. Do you have problems? Yes. Do you have a purpose? Yes. So if by continuing to live, look at the screens, if by continuing to live I can do more worthwhile work for Christ, that is if I continue to live on earth, if I stay on earth, Paul is saying, I can do more work for Christ, then I'm not sure which I should choose. I'm kind of torn between the two, he says. I want very much to leave this earth, leave this life, and be with Jesus. That's because he's been pursuing Christ. He's been loving Christ. He's been seeing Christ's perspective. He's united with Christ. Christ is not a far-off concept for him. He's actually in a relationship with Christ. And Christ is spiritual. You are spiritually alive. You are now able to communicate with the Spirit. You are able to communicate with God. He, because of that life, he says, now I am dying to be with him. Pun intended. 
which is far better. But, circle the big but there. But for your sake, it is much more important that I remain alive for your sake. I'm here for you. I'm facing the problems, the critiques, the challenges for you. I'm here to serve you. I'd rather be in heaven, but I'm here for you. So that, why? So that I know that I will stay on with you all so I can add to your progress and add to your joy in the faith. What is the reason you live? What's the reason for your life? If the reason for your life is you, you would be unhappy over and over and over again. Happy, you'd probably be happy for a period of time because you can't sustain a self centered happiness. Happiness revolves around God, and you are not God. So, Paul says this incredible statement that we all knew and are familiar with. He says, For me to live is Christ, for me to live. Is Christ. He is the purpose, the energy, the reason, the passion. He is the goal. He is the joy of my life. I'd rather be with him. But if I'm going to be here, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. That's what instead of just comfortable. That's what makes a life compelling instead of just comfortable. So as we end, you have to decide how you finish that sentence. You have to decide. Excuse me. <coughs> You have to decide how you finish that sentence. Paul had a purpose. They could take away his dignity. They could take away his comfort. They could take away his friends. They could take away everything from him and chain him to a dungeon with two guards. And he still was living for his purpose. Do you see that? I don't think you see that. I don't think you're listening. Listen carefully. They took away everything from him. And his life was still a success. Purpose is everything. Find your purpose. Find your purpose and wrap your life around your purpose so that you can complete the sentence by saying, for me to live is... Happiness doesn't come from selfish living, self-centered living. It doesn't come from self-gratification. You can have how much ice cream you want, you'll never be happy. You can have all the sex you want, you'll never be happy. You can have all the accolades and the, and, the, and the likes and the attention you want. You can have all the popularity you want and you will not be happy. As long as it's coming to you, you're never going to be consistently happy. And the more comes that your way in self-indulgence, your body, your mind is strained to want more. It's strained to want more. So I can tell you today as a truth, you will never be happy because you will never be satisfied. And you'll never be satisfied because you were trained, you were designed to never be satisfied. You were designed to constantly want God and more of God. And God is endless and you are endlessly hungry. And God was to endlessly supply your need according to the riches that is in Christ Jesus. And he was to satisfy you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He was to fill you with joy. He was to, and that's why Adam was happy. Adam, when he had the first relationship with God and he was complete in God. He didn't have anybody else and he was complete. And he knew his purpose in life. You don't go looking for happiness. You look for purpose. It comes from self-sacrifice, living for the benefit of the glory of God and for the service of others. I got a little chorus that I used to sing as a kid. Happiness is to know the Savior. 
living a life that's in his favor. Having a change in my behavior, happiness is the Lord. Real joy is mine, no matter if teardrops fall. I found a secret, it's Jesus in my life. Happiness is to be forgiven, living a life that's worth the living. Taking a trip that leads to heaven, happiness is the Lord. I love those choruses and those old days. Amazing stuff. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what we have learned today. Thank you for the fact that you are not trying to take our happiness. You're not trying to hold back happiness. You want us to be filled with joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. You don't want us to, 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 to struggle through life, but you want to turn every struggle and show yourself genius, show yourself wise in turning anything that happens to us into success for our lives. If only we would realize that no friend, no colleague, no lover, no government is more dedicated to the success of our life than you are Jesus. And then we would become impassionately in pursuit of a knowledge and an intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some here today, Lord, who don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. And they can't because they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually disconnected. Sin has deadened them to you. So I ask you in the name of Jesus to reveal Christ to them. That in the presence here of your people and under the hearing of your word, they would have the good grace to turn their hearts to you and say, Father in heaven, I have sinned. I am a sinner. I have lived for myself. I have lived for my gratification. And my sin has held me in odds with you. And I am not acceptable in the throne of heaven, in the courts of heaven, because of my sinfulness. But I hear that a righteousness is available to me, with which I can enter heaven. And that righteousness is gifted to me through Jesus. I'm no better than anybody else because all have sinned. But I can be better off than others because I receive the mercy that Christ offers me. I believe that Jesus came for me. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my debt, to pay for my sin. I believe he appeased the Father and by his blood washed my charge sheet completely to the point where now there is not a single memory of my sin in heaven. So when I rock up to heaven's door and I knock on the door and I give the password, Jesus, I will be entered, I will be allowed to enter in. I will be allowed to live in your presence forever. I will see my citizenship established forever in heaven. And now on that I have life in heaven, I can live life on earth with a view of eternity. That I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm going to be with Jesus. If I'm here, I'm here for others. But for my sake, I'd like to go home to Jesus. So if there's anybody here who's never accepted and acknowledged that Christ is God, that Christ is Lord, and that He being Lord became servant and gave His life for us, and He washes our sin, so He's the only one who can show us mercy. 
And having received that mercy, I make him the Lord of my life. If no one is, if, if there's anybody who hasn't yet done that, Lord, would they make that decision today? Would they make that decision today? Would, would you move in their hearts so that it's not my words that are compelling them or convincing them. It's your spirit that's drawing them to you. I pray for salvation of someone in the house today. Thank you, Father, for your word. Bless it and don't let Satan steal the seed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.